0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, if I were you, you would probably be thinking the same as I did this morning, uh, first of all, Brother John Kohler, it is so great to see you here. Thank you. We are just excited to, to have you here and to actually get to see you after all the prayers that everyone has made for so long for John and to get out safely. And God is faithful. We see him in front of us. So if i were you i'd be thinking well gee i can hear dan in any old time john is here why don't we hear john and i assure you we will hear john in a couple of weeks the elders have scheduled him in john was very gracious and flexible with his schedule to uh, we're also having our our brother bill pepper speak in december and also john will be speaking in december so you can rest easy Uh, we will all get to hear john as we are all very excited to hear uh, what god puts on his heart uh, for us Um, so it's just uh, another great example that uh, god can even speak through balaam's donkey um, for today uh, but we do get to hear john uh, in a few weeks also it is great to see our brother ted lewis with us physically this morning after his eye surgery of course he's slightly incognito and does look quite hip with those glasses you know ted was a product of the 60s but uh so it's so great to see ted being able to be here with us today and Ted is a great example of perseverance. We know Ted has had how many eye surgeries? A lot. The Lord has brought him through a lot, and God, again, God is faithful. Ted could easily be sitting at home on the couch uh, this morning saying, well, I, I think I'll do Zoom this morning. Uh, there are folks who need to do Zoom for physical reasons and health reasons and whatnot, um, and Ted, after eye surgery, certainly could be home on Zoom, but he fought through it and is here with us today, so it's great to see you, Ted. Do that. I went through all that for Ted and didn't even mention his age one time, <laughs> not once. Okay, well, this morning, uh, we are, well, this week, we're almost finished with Nehemiah, and we will be finishing Nehemiah this coming week, uh, just uh, next few days, and then transitioning into the very exciting, also exciting book of Esther. So this morning, basically, we're—I uh, believe the Lord wanted me to finish up the book of Nehemiah, and just the way the content is, no, I, you know, I, I didn't write it; I'm just reporting. But it's really a follow-up of what God has already spoken through. Ted and through Dave the last two weeks Ted spoke to us on revival and as we know there is revival in the book of Nehemiah and also God spoke to us last week about God's faithfulness and standing against the opposition to God's work That whenever God's work goes forward uh, for his kingdom the devil is always going to supply opposition so um, we are just going to follow up on that. There's uh, This is kind of like just part two of what you, you've already been listening to the last two weeks. So a kind of theme verse for this morning is found in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, the second half of verse 33. You don't need to turn to it yet. You can turn to Nehemiah because we will be in Nehemiah this morning, but uh, the second half of that verse just says, for you, speaking of God, you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. That's basically the whole Bible right there. God has acted faithfully. Even when He's not really obligated to as the creator of the universe, but he acts faithfully, even though mankind, we know Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this just reiterates that we have acted wickedly. It wasn't just stiff-necked Israel that acted wickedly. As we know, the whole human race acted wickedly, necessitating God the Father to send his only Son down here for us. So this morning, we're going to focus on faithfulness. First, we'll look at what Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, uh, the last half or so, says about God's faithfulness, and then we'll continue looking at Nehemiah's faithfulness. Dave certainly brought some of that in last week already, uh, but we'll look at Nehemiah's faithfulness to God and to the people uh, more in the second half of the book of Nehemiah. So, <clears throat> actually one thing, other thing I just have to mention before we dig in. When we were singing, it is, God is an awesome God this morning. What year was that song written in? 1988, good eyes from the back there, that's pretty good. Uh, In 1988, I was in a men's Bible study, sort of young leadership training course here at Living Word. And it was led by some guy named, I don't know if you ever heard of him, name was John, he used to be here, John Kohler. Anybody ever heard of that guy? And so John was tapped by our senior pastor at the time, to, to lead that Bible study, and it was a privilege, and look where, look how God has used John since that time. Um, also, it reminds me that John was also, you know, when he was here, he, he, he isn't just busy now. He was very busy even when he lived here in Philadelphia, um, and Dave could tell you a lot of stories, and John Runkle, because they lived with John, but... Uh, John was one of the rock leaders at the time, maybe even, I guess, the, the rock leader with Dave. And uh, they had a great worship at that time. And there was some little, like, five-year-old kid named Danny Moser that loved to, to work the overheads. And John had the grace to let this little five-year-old or six-year-old, uh, come up and change the transparencies and do them and sometimes the five-year-old would even pick out the song Even if it wasn't one that had already been picked out that day He would pick out one that he wanted and he would put it on there and John was just so gracious with this little kid um, as, as He was leading rock Also, I Know I teach exercise physiology and some people have said to me, you know wow, you're fit and all I don't even light a candle to the fitness level of John Kohler. John Kohler is like a year younger than me and running marathons. And, you know, I'm just running on a little treadmill that isn't going anywhere. John's running 26 miles. So John is by far Mr. Fit of living word community. So when we look at the uh, part of Nehemiah, uh, we're going to start in chapter 9 this morning. First, we just want to look at what it says in this book about God's faithfulness. Now, you're not really probably going to learn anything new from this. This, These are things that intellectually we all know. But I just encourage everyone to kind of, Sit back and just soak in what the word says and just let it deepen and percolate in your heart. Dave, one of the things he prayed before his message last week was, God, increase our faith. So use this to increase your faith. So Father, we ask that you would increase our faith this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal more of the living God to us this morning as we walk with you, though so in Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 5, I'm sorry, in chapter 9, verse 5 in Nehemiah, it says, then the Levites, and I list some long names that I can't pronounce, they said, arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. So we know that one of the attributes of God is that he is eternal. We know that, that Moses, a very commonly quoted verse in a psalm that Moses wrote, uh, Psalm 90, it says, They are from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we know that's, that's a mind bender. Sit there sometime and just think, think back. Think back into eternity. It's like, you can only go so far. Our little minds, our little pea brains can only think back so far. But God, to think that he has absolutely no beginning. And we know that we're going to be with him forever and ever. You know, we sing, you know, a thousand years in songs and whatnot. But how about a million years? How about a million, million years? How about a million, billion years? We're still going to be in his presence and praising and worshiping him. Again, we can't even comprehend eternity. Yet from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. And then you stop and think on the heels of what Pablo shared, what do I have to worry about? God always was, he always will be, as we sang this morning, he alone is sovereign. He is in charge of everything. What do we have to worry about? Well, we know the enemy shoots the fiery darts. And so, as Dave shared, standing against opposition, we have to use our shield of faith, and we have to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to combat the fiery darts, and the attacks of the enemy as he comes against us as we do his work, as Dave shared on last week. And then reading on, it says, Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Yahweh. Again, as we know, as Uh, Pablo made mention of the capital L.O.R.D. we know in our Bible that's Yahweh the personal name of God that he first revealed to Moses before that he was revealed as Elohim But now his personal name he said is Yahweh and the Jews don't even Say that name. It's too sacred to even say uh, in their eyes We know that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus and that we have walked into his holy place. So we get to to call him by his personal name. And that he alone is God. We know, we we read through Isaiah fairly recently and some of the chapters in in the 40s in Isaiah, it repeats that same thing, that he alone is God. It's not going to be like, the Mormons were they teach that every one of, you know, everyone that follow, that meets their standard is going to go out and start their own universe and they're going to be a God. No. The Bible says He alone is God. There is no other. The heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth. Oh, I'm sorry, you made the heavens. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, to give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. So we know he is the creator of everything. And again, we've talked about before, just thinking of his creation of all the stars. Like God just spoke in these Billions of billions of kind of like the sun, except some of them are even bigger. They say the sun is kind of like a, it's an average-sized star. There are stars much bigger than our sun and our solar system. Billions of billions of light years out there. Our God just spoke it into existence. That's just mind-boggling. We can't even begin to imagine how big our infinite God is. And then I think of the trivial little things, my wife could tell you, the trivial things that I would tend to worry about. What could I ever have to worry about when a, a God that is that big is also a faithful God that we'll read next? And then in verse 7, you are the Lord God who chose Abram. He chose Abram. He chose each of us. Think of what God had to do to get our attention back when, he, when we were going to get saved. We were all like sheep going our own way. We were all straying, says in Isaiah 53. And yet he chose every one of us. He called us out. How did God ever get our attention? We were so blinded. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. And yet God pulled back the curtain. He pulled back the veil for us to save us and put his Holy Spirit in us. He did that. God has the ability to choose us and all the people that we're praying for for salvation, all the family members, all the old friends, hopefully even our enemies as well, that when we pray for them for salvation, if God could choose us and call us out, God can call them out too. So don't lose hope. For those people you've been praying for salvation for years, siblings and great-aunt Susie and all all the the family members we've prayed for for years, we haven't seen it yet. But just as God uh, called out Abraham and God called us, God can call them too because he is the faithful God. And then he brought Abram out from ur of the chaldees so god is a communicating god isn't that amazing we just stop and think about it you know there are some religions were their their version of god is just some stone face out there somewhere um, out in the cosmos but he's watching but he he doesn't do anything he doesn't get involved and he certainly doesn't communicate well, praise God. We have a God that out of his love, he not only creates us, but he wants that relationship. God yearns for relationship, and he communicates with his people. He is faithful to communicate. How about the times when you've been praying for, to know God's will about something? Anybody in the last year pray, God, what is your will on this certain thing, on this issue where i should go when i should go what i should do when i should do it we all want to know god's will well god reveals his will to us as i say you know god isn't late he's always right on time you know we we think god you're you're behind schedule here i need to know this god is always right on time and he loves to communicate with his children And he will. He's faithful to do it, not in our time, but in the perfect time that we need to hear him. So God spoke to Abraham and brought him out. That means also he safely brought him out against any and all opposition that he may have had. You know, there were robbers and everything else back then as well. Um, God brought him out. Uh, of Ur safely, because he was taking him to a destination, as we know, to the land of Canaan. And it says, you found his heart faithful before you. So God chose someone who was faithful. So the question is, God, am I faithful? Can you choose me to do certain things? And he made a covenant with them. The Bible reveals numerous times that God is a covenant-making God. He is the God of commitment. As we know, marriage is taken very lightly if people even finally decide to get married after they've been living together for however how many months or years. You know, should we get married or not? You know, we've been living together for 10 years. Should we get married? But God says in his word, he's a God of commitment. He created marriage. He created that marriage covenant. So even though in our society today, that has been totally watered down and in many cases just washed out, but we know as we walk with our God and we try to do it according to his word. He is a covenant-making God. He's the God of permanent commitment. So single guys and gals, just remember, he's the God of commitment. And he wants to provide you, if, if it is his will for anyone to get married, he will supply you that, that man or woman that, that you can be uh, committed to and it's all by his grace we have some people that have been married a long time in living word uh, I mean look at those Lewises. how long have the Lewises has been married 40 44 years okay so anybody here been married longer than 44 years aha Ernesto Fifty years. Okay. Hey. hey. That's marriage commitment before the Lord. That's through the thick and the thin. We know life brings a lot of twists and turns. And when we're married to a human being, uh, we have our great times. We can have tougher times. And for God to bring folks through 50 years Uh, that's that's commitment so god is a god of commitment to us individually and the bottom line of that covenant commitment is faithfulness again ultimately god is faithful now a few other adjectives um those that are taking notes, you can look them up on your own, but verse eight, it says that he is the righteous God. Okay. In verse 12, that he is a guide. So in our lives, he wants to guide us again. He might not always tell us exactly when we want, but he alone is our guide. You know, he is the good shepherd. He guides his sheep. And, uh, we know that he guided them even very physically and tangibly um, with, with Moses, with the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day. I mean, how much clearer can you get than that? And don't move until the cloud moves? Like, wow, they didn't even have to ask, God, what's your will here? They could just sit and camp there until the cloud started to move and they Pack their bags and whew, out they go again. Just follow the cloud. God made it so simple and so easy. The people of Israel with their stubbornness, they had to make it complicated. They had to insert their own will. And as, as we know, their, uh, their sinfulness, um, those who were 20 and, and older, again, they died off in the wilderness. Okay, that was the choice that they made. Uh, to follow their own flesh rather than follow the living God who put a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire right in front of them. I mean, that's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? You think of having that at your in your neighborhood. God put the pillar of cloud right in your neighborhood, maybe in your front yard or something. Like, wow, that's just awe-inspiring. But I guess it wasn't awe-inspiring enough for them, and maybe that wouldn't even be enough for us, but we hope that it would be. And then jumping to verse 17, it says that God is a God of forgiveness, that even after there are many acts of stubbornness, it says, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness or in Hesed, and you did not forsake them. So God was faithful as, as Paul says in first Timothy, that even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. God is faithful when we don't deserve for him to be faithful. Yet he is so forgiving. And uh, that doesn't mean we should take sin lightly, as Paul said, Uh, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. So we are not to take sin lightly, but we do know that when we do sin, that if we have a heart of repentance and turning from that sin, that God forgives us, and that he is gracious and compassionate. Isn't it good that God is slow to anger? If we look at our lives, if I look at my life, how many times should God have just gone whack right away? And he didn't, it's like, wow, God, you should have given up on me years ago. And yet he hasn't given up on any of us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many times we've done it, God is forg- a God of forgiveness and he's slow to anger and abounding in his hesed, in his covenant love. So we also know that God showed his faithfulness to Israel through the Red Sea. Again, obviously, opening the Red Sea and guiding them, providing the manna for them. God is our physical provider, as Pablo said, uh, he might provide for us with our good planning and, you know, of people planning for retirement and all, but if the economy drops out, if the bottom drops out, well, then God already had another plan in mind, okay? We were doing what seemed to be the, uh, the wise thing and, you know, say somebody planning for their retirement if they, if they can, but... God will provide for us, as Pablo reminded us, and God provided uh, food for them. When you think of back when um, COVID hit and there were supermarkets where meat, the meat shelf was empty, some other shelves were completely empty, it's like, God, how, how am I supposed to eat? The shelves are empty at our supermarket. Well, God will provide for us even if it has to be manna from heaven, even if he has to multiply the fish and the bread, God will provide for us. We know that John was not rolling in dough over there in Afghanistan, but he looks pretty good to me. It looks like God provided food for John even when the coffer was you know, getting low. God provided for John in those circumstances, and God will provide for us, regardless of what the economy does. And water from a rock—wow, that's creative. Who, who, who would think of bringing gushing water for a whole nation, for a million or more people, out of a rock? God, you're amazing. Hey, our God is faithful, and he can provide for us in very creative ways when he needs to. Well, now let's uh, kind of switch gears. We know that our God is the faithful God. Okay, everything, the standing against opposition, the only way we can stand against opposition is because God is faithful. The only way that God can bring revival is because he is faithful. If he wasn't faithful, then why pray for revival? But we can pray for that because we know he is faithful. And as we know, the whole Bible is just loaded with verses that speak to that and show us that our God is the faithful God so first if you can turn with me back just a couple pages to chapter 5 in Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 5 okay we're just going to look at a few examples of what a faithful leader should look like, but also just what a faithful Christian should look like now, as we know, Nehemiah was placed, God placed him in a position of uh, great leadership. he was the governor before that i mean in on leave from being the cupbearer to the king. Now, many of us know the cupbearer would uh, drink the wine uh, before the king did so that in case it was poisoned, the king wouldn't get poisoned. That's a great job, isn't it? Wouldn't wouldn't you love it? You know, anybody that, say, loves the taste of wine, just a little sip of wine, not enough to get drunk on or anything, but just a little sip, taste the best of wines. You know, the king, they're not going to serve him garbage. They're going to serve him the best wine. So... For someone who loved wine, wouldn't that just be a great job, being a professional wine taster? Yeah, knowing you could drop dead any day. Um, What a great job. But it was more than that. That was one little piece of being a cupbearer. But uh, the commentaries that I read, it says being a cupbearer was actually a tremendous position of authority and responsibility. It was among the top positions in the court of the king and was usually one of the king's confidants. So Nehemiah was very close to the king, not just in proximity, but in relationship. A cupbearer would have a relationship with the king. So God placed Nehemiah Uh, in that position and as we see so that he would kind of have the end, so to speak to be able to leave to help his people the people of israel and god made him the governor so again he is a leader but these same qualities should be found in all of us if we even just got saved yesterday or or uh whatever we're all leaders in, in a way in the body of christ So first of all, in verses one through four, said there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brothers. Okay, there was injustice. Okay, people that were poor, that didn't have enough money for their own food. uh, They had to basically sell their property just to have money to eat. Then they started having to sell their own children into slavery just so they'd have money to eat. And they had nothing. And when Nehemiah saw and heard that this was happening to the people of God, how did he respond to that? Did he say, Well, you know, that's not a good thing? Hmm. When he consulted with himself, did he say, Well, hmm? Something seems wrong here. Is that how he responded? In verse 6, it says, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. And he did consult with himself. You know, this man had the word of God. Talk about meditating in the word of God. We know Ezra and Nehemiah, they knew the word. So when he's consulting with himself, does that mean that he's not, he didn't pray or anything? Well, we know it right in the beginning of Nehemiah, he prayed right before he opened his mouth to speak to the king. He was a man of prayer. He walked in prayer, just like makes me think of our sister Naomi. Naomi just walked in prayer with the Lord. And that's, that's the way Nehemiah was. But consulting with himself, this is a man that's full of the law of the Lord. And we know in Joshua 1.8 it says, Uh, that we are to meditate in this word day and night, and then that we will have good success. So Nehemiah was was walking that out. And then he contended with the nobles and the rulers. Now, we know he's the governor, so he can do that. But in other words, he was up for the challenge. He was a strong leader. He was not going to back down when intimidated with all of these nobles and other rulers uh, in Israel, respected people, a lot of people who had some money, and uh, he he did not back down. He didn't care if he was a popular leader. He was going to lead according to the Word of God. So all of us in, in our lives, we can't, sometimes when we have to make a decision, it's not going to be popular. You know, if you have folks under you at your job or whatever, or just in dealing with our own, our own youth in our own families, we're going to have to make decisions that are not popular. But we just have to stand. And Nehemiah did that, even uh, standing against nobles and rulers in Israel. And then he called them out and told them, uh, what they were doing, and down in verse ten, it doesn't. He didn't put this off. It's easy for us to put off decisions, especially in our you know family with even things with kids or whatnot to to put something off. But in verse ten, he said, "And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants." Okay, that's uh, in ten, money and grain. Okay. Please let us leave off this usury. Then he says to them, please give back to them this very day their fields, vineyards, etc. So again, he was a leader of strength and he wanted things corrected immediately. Is that what we all do in our lives when the Lord shows us something? Do we try to We know that God can't just snap his fingers and make us perfect. We wish that could have been the case when we got saved. Man, wouldn't that have made life a whole lot easier if when each of us received the Lord, if we God just went bang, snapped his holy fingers, and we were perfect right away. We know that's coming, but as Rebecca often says, not yet that's one of her favorite expressions, not yet. You talk about folks that have gone on in heaven, my mom and grandfather and whatnot, you know, we're gonna be with them, she'll say, not yet, (laughs) and that's true. Well, we're not perfect yet either as as we've all noticed, Um, but look at how quickly, just the attitude of Nehemiah, he dealt with things immediately. He didn't put them off, he didn't wait, he didn't linger and say, well, Lord, someday I'll get around to that. He says, give them, give it back to them this very day. And then down in 13, he established a consequence. You know, sometimes we have to do this with our kids and whatnot. Um It said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. Whoa. Okay, he he left it on no uncertain terms. Okay, he was a leader that put his foot down, he communicated clearly, and he meant business. So. Uh, that's how God wants us to deal with sin. And when, when things are not right um, in our midst, God wants them dealt with. And Nehemiah was a man that took his responsibility very seriously, obviously, before the Lord. Now in 14... It shows us that Nehemiah was very generous, and he always put the people that he served above himself. There was a a popular term. I don't know if it started with uh, them, but uh, back in the 70s, kind of late 70s, uh, Larry Tomzak and C.J. Mahaney, who some here are some of those with gray hair are, gray hair, are familiar with. Uh, they taught on servant leadership. In other words, not as, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, not lording it over the flock, but being servant leaders. And that's certainly the way Nehemiah was way back then. He didn't have that teaching that, that we've had on servant leadership. He just got it from the word of God, and that's the way he was. So in verse 14, it says, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, for twelve years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. So we see Nehemiah's heart to please God first. That no matter what the situation, man, it would have been so easy uh, to, to... Receive that governor's allowance and live more of a life of leisure. I mean, he's the governor. Why shouldn't he it was his he was entitled to that But yet his heart was only to please God above himself and to choose God's work Above pleasure we know that in 20th century America uh, 21st century America pleasure is put really high on the list Um, entertainment and pleasure you know the more time off people can take for pleasure and the more toys they have to play with for pleasure not that any of those are wrong in, in their place in the the pecking order of the priorities of life but nehemiah was a man that put others ahead of himself and ahead of uh instead of pleasure for himself He wanted to lay down his life for others. And as we know, that is uh, an example of the coming of the Messiah. As we know, that's what the Lord Jesus did for us when going to the cross. Now, we're not going to read this, but in chapter 8, Nehemiah showed that just like Ezra and along with Ezra, he put the word of God, number one. He promoted God's word. And so uh, Ezra, it says, read the law from early morning until midday. Could you imagine if we met together, what, what would be early morning? I mean, you could start at 8 o'clock. Could start at, if we came here at 7 o'clock in the morning. And we read the word until midday. Would that be an easy thing? That might have been four, five, six hours. We we don't know exactly. Um, But that's, that's commitment. Okay, so the people sat and listened to the word. But Ezra and Nehemiah wanted the word of God to go forth. And the people sat there for all those hours and took it in. And we know they had such a response that when they matched their lives up with the standard of the word that, uh uh-oh, and the Holy Spirit, and remember the Holy Spirit is mentioned twice in um, Nehemiah chapter nine there. We get to have the Spirit in us, but they still had the Holy Spirit in their midst, and the Holy Spirit was working. And we know the Holy Spirit also spoke through the prophets to rebellious Israel so that we get to have that same Holy Spirit in us working rather than just in our midst working. And so the, the word of God was placed as the high priority regardless um, of the cost to their bottoms and what they were sitting on. And then the joy of the Lord was their strength because we know that people were weeping when they compared their lives to what the Word of God said. And it's it's both. It was supposed to be a time of celebration, uh, but certainly there is a time for, for weeping um, when we see that our lives don't match up to the Word. But the ultimate at the end... Uh, then we should rejoice because God will <clears throat> uh, deliver us from that sin and root it out of our lives. Not again it necessarily at necessarily the snap of a fingers, but God will uh, get these sins out of our lives, and that's a cause for celebration and rejoicing. And then, in also in chapter eight, in verse uh, thirteen through eighteen, it talks about the feast of booths. And that it had not been celebrated since the time of Joshua. So, again, this was another of the special uh, Jewish f- uh, feasts and holidays that was to be um, celebrated at a certain time. And the revival in their midst, again, they were getting back to the Word of God, doing it God's way. And so uh, that was part of the manifestation of the revival in their midst that God brought about uh, And used his his leaders and then lastly there is a laundry list of things that uh nehemiah did again standing against opposition just doing what was right according to the word of god this is in chapter 13 uh you can jot it down in your notes um but in, in chapter 4, uh, I'm sorry, in verses 4 through 9 of chapter 13, it shows that Nehemiah was a man of his word. You know, in our society, people's word is taken lightly, we know. Contracts are broken, all kind of things. Uh, people's word uh, is taken lightly, and people just throw around their word uh, with no intention of backing it up. But when Nehemiah had told the king... I shall return at a certain time, he did. Even though the work wasn't all done, there was still more to do in their midst, he went back and was a man of his word. And then he asked the king for another trip, which obviously the king granted to him, and he went back and did the rest of his work. So in verse 8, it talks about him cleansing the temple. Now, isn't it amazing that Tobiah who was Satan's tool to bring opposition to the wall being built, somehow or other weaseled his way in to be living in the temple of God? What? How did he get in there? He's an enemy of Israel. He should be living way out in the mountains somewhere uh, in fear that the armies of Israel would come and get him he was living in the temple of god that just shows how satan can weasel his way into things and we have to be wise and alert as paul said we we must not be ignorant of his schemes in our own lives so obviously nehemiah didn't put up with that he physically took all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room in the temple where the temple utensils and things were supposed to be so he was a restorer of the temple and just again as jesus showing how jesus cleansed the temple that it should be a house of prayer nehemiah cleansed the temple uh back uh, years earlier and then in verse 10 he had the tithes restored to the levites Okay, they, they actually had to move out into the hinterland, uh, into t- surrounding towns because they didn't have enough provision to live in Jerusalem to, uh, to take care of the temple of God. He, so Nehemiah put a stop to that immediately and restored temple worship by restoring the tithe to the Levites who were supposed to get it in, uh, in the first place. And then he also restored the Sabbath. Uh, There was going to be buying and selling. There's going to be mercenary things going on on the Sabbath, which we know is against the word of God. He straightened that out very quickly as well. And then lastly, there were mixed marriages. Now, what did mixed marriages mean back then? Well, back then, it was a matter of faith. And so, we know that there were other marriages from other um, nations that actually carried the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we know Rahab the harlot. Okay, she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus. Okay, we know that uh, Ruth the Moabitess, she married Boaz she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus and she was not a Jew but they were people of faith well here okay mixed marriages meant those who were worshiping other gods those who were going to bring Satan's teaching and doctrine into Israel lead them astray and Nehemiah pulled out all the stops Anybody remember the stops that he pulled out? Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, other than the Lord Jesus, ever to live on the earth, probably. He even got led astray by women of other religions. And so, Nehemiah was saying, giving us a warning today, that for those, anyone who is single that thinks they might want to be married someday, That it has to be, and Peter and Paul confirm this a believing husband or wife that you would have. So if somebody looks cute or somebody looks nice, but they're not a believer, then off limits is what the word of God says. They have to marry a believer. So uh, he pulled, even pulled their hair out. Back when Ezra had found the same thing happening, uh, Ezra at one point pulled his own hair out, but Nehemiah pulled out some of their hair. So, uh, because he saw what, what the consequence of that sin would be in Israel. So we see that Nehemiah is a tremendous example of living by the word of God, not having any nonsense mixed in, He just lived by the word and acted on the word. And as we know, he and Ezra, uh, they did that together. They both exemplify that, how we should live our own lives. So let's uh, just go to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you alone are the great and awesome God. We thank you that you reveal so many things facets of who you are to us as human beings. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself uh, to us. And Father, if there's any here who has not yet received you, we ask that you would touch their heart today, that they would trust the Lord Jesus as their own Savior for their own sin and enter into a relationship with you for eternity. Lord, we thank you that you want us to walk with you in covenant that you are the God of commitment. We thank you that you are so committed to us, that you are so faithful. And, Father, help us to walk out our Christian lives with you the way that Nehemiah did. Lord, according to your word only, and, Lord, with, uh, with passion and with strength. And we know that strength can only come from you standing against the opposition of the enemy to do that. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. So it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.